in case you were wondering if we were going to be here till 2 o'clock, we're only going to be dealing with the first two uh, Roman numerals this morning, and Lord willing, we'll pick up uh, with Roman numeral 3 next week, so you can relax. Uh, one of the things that uh, might be helpful background before we dive into the subject of uh, this spiritual warfare that Daniel engaged in is why it was that Daniel needed to engage in this intense kind of spiritual warfare in the first place. Um, in the last chapter, we saw that Cyrus was on his side. In Daniel 9, uh, we were, when we were discussing that, we saw that um, uh, Cyrus and Darius had become uh, converted. Uh, there were a number of great things that had happened, but I think that is precisely one of the things that caused uh, Daniel to need to enter into prayer at this time because in the two years that intervened between Daniel 9 and Daniel 10, there were all kinds of attacks that came against, uh, against da uh, Daniel. Satan was ticked off with Daniel. He was upset and he was doing everything that he could to oppose God's plans uh, in the land of Israel. For example, he knew that Daniel's prayers were instrumental in bringing about some of the uh, issues that had happened here. And so he goes after Daniel. He tries to dis discredit him. He tries later to destroy uh, Daniel. And what you need to do is you need to keep in mind that the prophecies of the second half of this book chronologically fit into the stories in the first half of the book. And Daniel chapter 6 occurs shortly after uh, uh, this passage. And... Uh, uh, what happened in uh, Daniel chapter 6? It happens shortly after Daniel chapter 9, I should say. In Daniel 6, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Uh, they try to uh, destroy uh, Satan, and that is not a coincidence. What is going on there is Satan is upset with this man of God who's been engaging in powerful uh, spiritual warfare, and he is doing everything that he can to stop uh, Daniel. Uh, uh, Satan knows that there is power in a praying man, and he's going to do everything he can do to keep you from praying. If you've wondered why it is that cults have an easy time in praying and why we have such a difficult time is because there is that kind of opposition. But we need to be in prayer. Now, if Daniel can't be stopped from praying... Uh, then Satan's going to attack him. And you might say, well, that's a great reason why I shouldn't pray. I don't want to come under attack from Satan. But let me encourage you to realize Satan's always going to attack you. In fact, the only times that he lets up is where you have been engaging in spiritual war and he knows you're going to persevere. There is not getting any through. And so he'll let up on you for a period of time. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And so uh, we, we shouldn't give up on praying. But Satan was not successful in destroying Daniel, so he tries another strategy. He tries to discourage Daniel uh, through some of the events that happen. And uh, let's get our bearings here. In verse 1, it says this was the third year of Cyrus. And I think it's helpful to realize what happened during this third year of Cyrus. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson points out that during this year, uh, Cyrus went abroad and he left his son Cambyses uh, to rule as regent. Now, the problem was Cambyses wasn't a believer. He wasn't really sympathetic to what was going on in Israel. And if you read in Ezra uh, 4, 1 through 5, you find that there were uh, the people in the land of Canaan, the Samaritans and others, uh, who were doing everything they could to resist this work. And they had hired lawyers to go and argue before Persia as to why this work on the temple and the work on Jerusalem had to stop. Well, Cambyses put a stop to the work there according to Walton and, and others. And uh, Daniel's only recourse is to go to the Lord 
in prayer. He goes in intense spiritual warfare here. And the reason is because he realizes this is not really ultimately a battle against flesh and blood. Sure, there's the lawyers and there's the bureaucrats, there's the problem with Cambyses, but he realizes that ultimately it's Satan that's been throwing up all of this dirt and doing everything that he can to discourage and tire out and wear out and stop the work of the Lord. And so that's the background of this passage and why it is that Daniel has been engaging in this three-week period of intense spiritual warfare. And many times Christians are afraid to even think about spiritual warfare because they recognize how weak and inadequate they are. They say, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, it's unnerving to think about powerful spiritual beings that are around us that we can't see that can attack us. Well, let me tell you that ignorance of spiritual warfare is not a safe place to be. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says that we must not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And this passage doesn't tell us everything that we need to know about spiritual warfare, but what it does tell us, I think, is very, very encouraging. Verse 4 uh, indicates that Daniel was by the river Tigris. He was still in Babylon, far, far away from the center of the spiritual battle that was going on in the land of Israel. His heart's longing had been to return, and for some reason he was not able to. We're not told why. Uh, some commentators speculate that this was because he was, he was old and weak, uh, unable to make such an arduous journey all the way to Israel. Uh, we do know that if Daniel was uh, between the ages of 10 and 13, uh, which is very likely it was around those ages in chapter 1, that means he's between the ages of 82 and 85 in this chapter. And yet in spite of his age, in spite of his weakness, in spite of the long distance away from the land of Israel, his prayers are effective, very powerfully effective. And uh, I, I want to take a look at the, the weakness of, the, uh, of Daniel here because in, in, in Ephesians 6, God does not tell us to be strong in our own strength when we're warring against demons. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And when you realize Daniel was a weak man, just like we are weak, uh, when you compare ourselves with the demonic forces and the angelic forces that are out there, our intrinsic uh, strength or weakness is really immaterial. So I want to take a look at the weakness of Daniel. Merely the presence of this angel wasted Daniel. Uh, it really undid him. Now, there are fallen angels uh, called demons who have this kind of power as well. I have on occasion, when I was out in Ethiopia, had the suffocating, terrifying presence uh, of demons, made my hair stand on, on end and uh, just made me feel physically weak from the terror of it, and yet a simple prayer made those demons flee. And um, uh, when uh, we engage in prayer... Uh, we are entering into something that goes way beyond our, our physical strength that is there. Take a look at verses 7 through 8 and just notice the uh, inadequacy and the weakness of uh, humans when confronted with these angelic beings. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in, this, in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Now some people are very skeptical that uh, an angel could be able to induce that kind of an effect in Daniel, and so 
they hypothesized that this must be the Son of God, pre-incarnate Son of God, a, a theophany or a Christophany, and especially since the the uh, description in the vision, verses 6 through 7, is very similar in some ways to the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Now, it's possible that this person in, um, uh, in uh, verse 6 is different than the speakers in verses 10 and following. So it's possible he saw Christ, or he saw the, uh, a theophany there, and then there's a different speaker, although it just starts off with, he said. And I want to explain why I do not think that this is possible uh, to be referring to the, to, uh, uh, to, to, the, to the Lord God. Look at verse 10. Then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he, referring back to this person, he said to me, now here's a being that has touched him, has the same kind of powerful effect, making him tremble, bringing uh, fear into Daniel's life. And it says, he said to me, and if you trace through the things uh, that are ascribed to this speaker through the rest of this chapter, they are things that are not attributable to God. Uh, it says in verse 12 that he is sent and uh, implying that he's under authority, not just that he travels, but that he is sent uh, by somebody. Uh, in uh, verse uh, 13, it says that for 21 days there were some demonic forces that were preventing this particular being from being able to travel to Daniel. That simply cannot be spoken of of God. God would not be able to be resisted in that way, unable to get through. It says, furthermore, that he need re needed reinforcements from Michael. God doesn't need reinforcements from other angels and forces that are under him. It says he needed help in verse 13. So I really do not think this is speaking about a theophany. I think it is speaking about the power that an angel has. And this was not even the most powerful angel. Michael, the archangel, was the most powerful one. But we're going to just take a look at the kind of effect this angel had upon Daniel. Verse 8 indicates Daniel had no strength left. He was on his face. The angel strengthened him sufficiently for him to be able to stand, but he's standing there, his knees shaking, trembling, and um, uh, he can't speak. He has no breath. Uh, he's just, uh, he is just overwhelmed there. So the angel touches his mouth so that he will, will be able to speak something. And I want you to notice in verse 16 what he says when he's finally able, breathlessly, to get out some speech. Uh, part of the way through, verse 16 says, Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Uh, he was just, he was breathless because of the, the, the power of this encounter that is there. And then uh, finally, uh, in uh, verse uh, uh, 16, when the angel touches, um, uh, excuse me, later on, when he touches him, he is given sufficient strength in verses 18 and 19, he's given sufficient strength where he's able to talk and he's able to be comfortable in the presence of these beings. Now, when you realize how incredibly powerful these angelic beings are, and you realize that Hebrews 1, verse 7, and Hebrews 1, verse 14 especially, say that those angels are our servants of all things, that they are ministers sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation, it ought to be an incredible thing for you to think about. In fact, in chapter 11, 
Verse 1, it shows how uh, one, this angel was sent, was assigned to minister to King Darius. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm uh, and strengthen him. And uh, that ought to be encouraging. We are weak. No question about that. Even the mightiest, the strongest of men, spiritually just feel inadequate, feel totally inadequate for any kind of spiritual warfare in themselves. And yet, in spite of all of that, Daniel was powerful in prayer. So I want you to keep that in your mind. Your weakness, your intrinsic weakness is immaterial uh, to the battle. Now, I don't think I need to convince you anymore of point one, so I'm going to skip over D, go on to Roman numeral two, and ask, how do we gain this strength? How do we obey uh, Ephesians 6 when it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might? And uh, there are other passages that talk about other things, but I just want to look at five key issues in this chapter that are necessary if we are to be powerful in spiritual warfare. Let's um, uh, take a look at humility, first of all, verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. What made Daniel a powerful man of prayer was that he was a man who was humbled before God. Now, some of you may be uh, just sick and tired of hearing me quote James 4, verse 6 so many times, but it is true that humility is absolutely key to a powerful walk before Lord. James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We have a totally powerless Christianity. We are unable to resist demonic attack if we are clinging to pride because God resists us. He does not give us the sustaining grace that we need to be able to resist uh, the demonic beings. We're totally vulnerable to their attacks. Got to remember, uh, these fallen angels are powerful enough to toast us in an instant if God gave them permission. You just look at what happened to Job's family and all of the other beings that are around them, and you realize then that humility is something that causes God to exalt us and give us grace. Pride is something that causes God to resist us. You know, humility is absolutely foundational to any kind of a powerful uh, spiritual warfare. In James, he goes on to explain what we can do with the demonic when we are humble. Starting in verse 6 again, it says, but he, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can you see there that there's the power in humility, recognizing we are nothing in ourselves. We begin to think something of ourselves. God says, okay, I'll show you how weak you really are. But when we're humble, we enter into the power of the Lord God, whose power is made perfect in what? In our weakness, isn't it? And it says there that even the most powerful of the demons, Satan himself, must flee from a truly humble person. If you have pride in your life, I would be scared to death to in any way be confronted by the demonic because you are powerless. You are vulnerable before there and you need to learn everything that you can learn about what it means to be humble before God. And I can give you some homework. If you desire to go through homework that, that uh, the Scripture gives on how we can enter into humility, but that is a key second key in Daniel's life was a love for and a study of God's Word. And I've given in your outlines four verses that show that. Uh, not only that Daniel loved to study the Word, but that this angel was very, very interested in Daniel understanding that Word. But verse 12 again gives us a summary. And he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand 
and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Uh, this angel highlights Daniel's desire to understand the scriptures. And Daniel was powerful in his prayer in part because Daniel understood the scriptures. Now, let me illustrate why this is important. Uh, down in verse 21 of Daniel 10, there are people who are puzzled. Why in the world is that parentheses in there? Usually parentheses explain uh, what's going on in the context, and people ha have been puzzled. What does Daniel understanding the scripture of truth have anything to do with an angel's ability or lack of ability to engage in spiritual warfare? I mean, what difference does it make if I don't understand the Scriptures as to whether angels can fight? And yet there is a connection. Verse 21, But I tell you what is noted in the Scripture of truth, and he's going to, in all through chapter 11, be explaining what's in the Scriptures of truth, but he gives a parenthesis here as to why he wants to do that. The parenthesis says, No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Uh, if this angel was to get more angelic reinforcements, why was it important for Daniel to understand the Scripture? And I believe it was so that Daniel could pray in faith. The only way that Daniel could pray with faith and victory is if he understood the victory that the Scripture promises. You see, faith is founded in the Scriptures. That's where faith grows from. That's where faith uh, comes. It is founded upon the promises of, uh, of God's Word. And that means that we need to understand prophecy. We need to understand God's plans for the future if we are to have faith to be able to pray the kind of prayers that are going to impact this world. So understanding the Scripture really is a, a, a critical. There's a solid connection there. A third key is the need to grieve over sin and error and uh, satanic opposition. We've already heard about uh, the opposition that was coming against the kingdom of God there. And I want you to look in verse 2 at the reaction that it has. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Do you mourn over the sins of our nation? I believe one of the reasons why Daniel was uh, uh, in, uh, instrumental uh, in leading these kings to Christ, or you could reverse that, one of the reasons why uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Darius became believers was because the man who was praying for them was a man who mourned over their state. One of the reasons Daniel was so powerful in his prayers for Jerusalem was because he was a man who mourned over the state of Jerusalem. And I think this is one of the key factors that you always find with those in the Scriptures who had the gift of intercession. I think everybody needs to intercede. We all need to weep. But there are some who are especially gifted by the Spirit. And it is that they weep over the state of a nation or over the state of a city like Nehemiah, like Jeremiah and Lamentations. The Spirit of God drives them to weep. And uh, I, I think that... Um, this is something that uh, is really linked to power in prayer. When I was uh, praying after the picketing yesterday, it struck me, you know, that I don't have the kind of, uh, of weeping over our nation that David had. Uh, David, it says of him, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. See, if we're to be effective in prayer, we need to be spirit-driven even in our emotional reaction to the world around us. He causes us to enter into joy in the Lord. He causes us to enter into the weeping uh, as well. And I think that's uh, especially illustrated in chapter 9. But the, the other side to this weeping, it could almost be a point of its own, is that Daniel not only wept over the sins 
of the state, the sins of his people, but he wept over his own sins. And so it's the aspect of holiness. And I believe that we can only be powerful in spiritual warfare as we are holy. Uh, Some of you may think that you're pretty good at prayer, but if the Spirit of God has been convicting you of sin that you've not been willing to deal with, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. They are powerless. Um, I have had a couple of occasions in Ethiopia where I was confronted with the demonic when I was not fessed up before the Lord. Let me tell you, it is a terrifying thing to be confronted with the demonic Uh, when you know the Lord is displeased with you. A few of you have heard this story, but uh, because the result, you know, is so visibly seen, uh, what happens in the invisible realm, uh, I want to repeat this again. Tommy Titcomb was an early SIM missionary that my parents knew and uh, didn't always have the the kind of social graces that that you would expect, which made him very effective in many circumstances, places I um, maybe would be nervous about going into. Man, he was just bold as a lion, would go in there. But he had been used to the Lord to cast demons out of many, many people. And as one time, he went up to a group of people that were levitating a woman off of the ground. And uh, he went out and uh, uh, commanded the Spirit to come out of this woman And immediately, he was gripped by these demons and thrown back several feet. Well, he was stunned, and he had hurt feelings. And he was crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? What are they going to think? They're going to think that Satan's more powerful than you. Why did you allow this to happen? Uh, And immediately, the Spirit of God convicted him about a sin he'd been convicting him of for quite some time, and Tommy Titcomb had not been willing to deal with. And Tommy Titcomb realized that if he did not deal with that sin, he would, not, he would be powerless in dealing with the demonic. So he confessed it, he resolved to, to deal with it once and for all. He went up, he was able to cast out the demon without any problem. I think it's very important for us to realize this is a relational issue. Uh, you are powerless before the demonic if you do not have God's blessing upon you. And not only in the earlier point in terms of pride, but if we are not dealing with our sins that God's Spirit is giving to us, we're powerless. In ourselves, we are intrinsically weak. And so not only mourning over the state of our nation, the state of the church, but also mourning over our own individual sins, I think is key. Holiness is a key. A fourth key to effective warfare is fasting. Look at verse 3. I ate no pleasant food... No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks uh, were fulfilled. Now, some people um, uh, speak of a Daniel fast. Some of you have heard about that. It comes from this passage, and it refers to a fast that's not a complete fast from all food, but it's a a fast from treats, a fast from pleasant food. Uh, He wasn't going to eat any Big Macs, uh, no meat. Uh, he wasn't going to be eating any treats, anything that was a special kind of food, uh, no wine. He wasn't going to anoint himself with cologne. And so people speak of, uh, uh, of a partial fast. And it may have in part been because maybe he was too weak or feeble to go on an, uh, a complete fast. We're not told why. It's certainly wise. If you ever decide to go on a prolonged fast to consult with a you know, physician... Um, most of the people who go on these 30 and 40 day fasts nowadays uh, do juice fasts. In other words, they're getting some nutrition, but they're denying themselves otherwise. But I want to get into the question, why is it that God has chosen to bless people with power that they did not have before when they fast? Well, we're not told, as far as I know, if some of you know why we're, we're, we're given power in that, 
area, let me know about it. I don't know from the scriptures why that is true, but I just take it at face value. God says you'll have power, and so I believe it. And I think we need to practice it even if we don't understand it. Uh, when Christ faced his temptations from Satan in Matthew chapter 4, he fasted. Uh, when the disciples could not cast out a particularly stubborn demon, uh, cast him out of that child, uh, Christ said, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. I've had counseling cases that have gotten up against a brick wall. We couldn't get any further until the person began to fast and there was a breakthrough uh, into freedom. For some reason, God has chosen to bless with special spiritual power those who are willing uh, to fast. Now, fasting should not be entered into in a legalistic way where you do it, you know, just as a habit. That was one of the problems with the Pharisees. You know, they were criticizing Christ because he wasn't fasting when they thought he should. You know, they fasted twice a week and he wasn't fasting on the days that they fasted. And um, Christ's point was, what's the point? You know, he fasted when it was necessary. And uh, when we did our study several years ago on fasting, we saw that at least six different occasions in the Gospels, Christ did engage in fasting. So he is a pattern for us uh, of fasting, but he didn't do it legalistically. But the bottom line is, there are some battles we can win without fasting, but Christ made it clear, there are some battles we cannot win unless we enter into uh, fasting. The last key to Daniel's effectiveness was that he prayed. And uh, we're going to end with this point. I'll pick up Roman numeral 3 uh, next week. But look at verse 12 once again. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Notice that last phrase, I have come because of your words. There is a very real sense in which our prayers move. Would not be given the directive to go and minister to an individual, go into battle in a given area, are mobilized because of prayer. God moves angels through prayer. He says, I was sent because of your words. And I want you to notice that that verse there indicates that this, this answer to Daniel's prayers happened the moment Daniel started praying. Look there, it says, from the first day that you set your heart. Okay, we do not need to persevere in prayer because God is slow in answering. God answered this prayer right away. And many times God does instantly answer prayers apart from from, uh, from angels, but one of the reasons we need to persevere in prayer is because God has chosen uh, to use uh, feeble people like you and I. He has chosen to use finite angels, and angels sometimes take time, okay? Uh, they're finite beings who take time, who take effort. Sometimes they have setbacks, and uh, there are times where they're not able to win the battle. If you uh, uh, take a look at uh, verse 13... This is a verse that I don't think fits into the theology of some people who just think that's just so inappropriate to, to think in those ways. Uh, God can just instantly uh, answer our prayers. Well, it's true. God sometimes does instantly answer our prayers. But more often than not, God chooses to work through finite beings. It says, but the prince of the per kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, how long was this battle going on? If you look over at verse 2... It was the same amount of time that Daniel had been fasting and praying. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. 
How many days is three full weeks? It's 21 days, and that's where the answer comes at this point. See, God could snap his fingers and things would be done right away, but he has chosen to use fallible, time-limited, space-limited, strength-limited, angelic beings. And if you, your prayers, in order to be answered, require that angels move from another state to this state or from another country to this country, there's going to be a period of time uh, that's going to be involved. Now, we're going to be looking at some of the specific spiritual dynamics that go on uh, in this warfare next uh, week, Lord willing. But right now, I want you to see that there can be no sustained victories if there is not sustained prayer. There cannot be. Every victory in the book of Daniel was a victory that flowed out of prayer. If you look at chapter 11, verse 1 again, you'll see that the answer to Daniel's concerted prayers in Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 9, how they were answered. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1, Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, maybe we'll stop there and just explain once again what happened in the first year of Darius the Mede. That's when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. That's when Darius gets converted. That's when the decree went out to build Jerusalem, to build the temple, that all the Israelites were able to go back. This is the time when Daniel is elevated to the highest office next to Darius in Babylon. So many victories that went on. This passage is indicating some of the spiritual realities that were going on to enable that to happen. He says, also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And boy, did Darius need confirming and strengthening because you saw all of those satraps and various people who were lined up against Darius. They didn't like him. They didn't like Daniel. And so... I want you to consider, um, uh, to stimulate your own prayers, that in this verse, if it speaks of an angel being assigned as a servant, as a minister to Darius, and if Hebrews 1.14 says that all angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation, then does it not follow that much of their kingdom service and much of their battling goes on when we ask? for their service. If there are servants and we're never asking for their service, what goes on? I I think it's very significant here when he says, I have come because of your words. Now, I want you to remember that we're not uh, to be praying to the angels. If you look in Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, it talks about the relationship between our prayers to angels there as well. And it says our prayers go up to the throne of God, and it's from the throne of God that the, the, the permission goes forth for the angels to sound their trumpets. And as trumpet after trumpet sounds, calling new regiments of angels, Satan's kingdom takes hit after hit after hit. But it's all tied in with our prayers. As we pray to God, it affects the angelic warfare. I have come because of your words. How many words do you offer up in prayer to the Lord God? Verse 13 indicates that for quite a period of time, this angel had been left alone unable to penetrate through the thick, thick forces, the demonic hordes that were there in Babylon until finally Michael the archangel brings in the reserves. You know, he brings in the other troops. Now, when you compare in Ezra 3 through 4, this is after the period of time when all of these prayers have been going up as the altar has been established in the land of Israel. And I believe that you could probably, reading between the lines, but I believe that the reason Michael is able to come during that period of time is because of the prayers that are coupled with Daniel's prayers. They needed, because of the, the troubles that were happening in Israel due to what was happening in Babylon, they needed help. They're praying concerning that help. Where do they go? 
They go to the source of the problem. They go to Babylon. And so I think reading between the lines, you can see that uh, angelic warfare is helped or hindered by what we do or do not do. There is no point in my even preaching the sermon next week concerning the nature of that spiritual battle if we are not committed to going into spiritual battle that uh, the verses we've looked at today uh, call us to do. Now, I, uh, because of, of an emergency situation I was dealing with yesterday, I didn't have time to, to do up uh, discussion questions, but what I'd like you to do in your families and in the home groups is just to use the eight points that are under the conclusions under Roman numeral four. I think those will be adequate for, for going through discussion. My prayer, though, my basic point this morning is that we would be willing to be people going into battle, be willing to be people delighted to go to the throne room of grace. Let's pray.